Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeart Podcasts, and how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, November 16th, 2023. First up, over in the EU, TikTok is protesting its designation as a gatekeeper. So this relates to the EU's Digital Markets Act. That act establishes this designation of gatekeeper for companies that meet several criteria. And if they do meet those criteria and the EU determines they're gatekeepers, it means these companies have obligations to comply with a specific set of rules and restrictions that the EU created for these very powerful companies. So first up, what is a gatekeeper? Well, it's any company that serves as a gateway between consumers and businesses through core platform services. TikTok, in this case, would be a core platform service. But okay, beyond that, the companies that merit the designation gatekeeper have to be really important players that hold significant power in their respective markets. So think about companies that have effectively a stranglehold on some specific element of the digital world, like Google web search would be a clear contender, right? Facebook or Meta really would have a lot in in social networks. So to continue to be considered to be a gatekeeper, there are some actual financial results that are important too. A company has to have a turnover of at least $8 billion for the last three financial years, or have an average market capitalization of at least $79.5 billion in the last financial year. Uh, The reason for these numbers like 79.5 is because obviously in the EU, this is all in euro, not in dollars. Um, 
the company has to also provide services to at least three member states within the EU. So if it's only operating in one, it cannot be considered a gatekeeper. If it is not making those kind of financial returns, then it can't be a gatekeeper. Uh, it also must be in, in an entrenched and durable position. Now, that means that these companies are really well established. They're not likely to get displaced by a competitor anytime in the foreseeable future. Now, to be clear, the EU is not actually saying that TikTok is the gatekeeper here. That's one of those core services, not the gatekeeper itself. Instead, its parent company, ByteDance, is what the EU has identified as a gatekeeper. So TikTok is saying, Au contraire, mon frère, we're largely independent of ByteDance. We don't have that much to do with them. We operate very much independently of ByteDance. And when you take that into consideration, we don't qualify as a gatekeeper. So that means we shouldn't have to comply with the rules that gatekeepers have to follow. See, these rules include lots of stuff. One example is that uh, a gatekeeper has to be able to give users access to the data that they are generating through using the platform. So if a user says, hey, I want to have access to all the data you have on me based upon how I'm using your product, they have to do that. That's just one example. So clearly any company that has gatekeeper status is going to have to put in a lot of work to comply with these rules. And furthermore, complying with those rules will also likely have a big impact on how these companies can do business in the EU in the first place, right? Those rules might end up saying that things that are normal business practices for these companies are no longer viable. And suddenly you have this very lucrative form of revenue generation cut off from you. So it's understandable that TikTok would want to find a get out of digital you know, markets act free card. Interestingly, Meta has also challenged its status as a gatekeeper, considering how frequently Zuckerberg has bragged about, you know, having billions of users. It, it seems weird and difficult to argue that Meta somehow doesn't qualify for gatekeeper status, but they're trying anyway. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to find much success with that route. But the other companies that have been designated gatekeepers include Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Apple. So the deadline for these companies to submit a challenge to the classification is, uh, let me see, let me look here. Uh, it's today, actually. Today is the last day. So we'll see if the EU reconsiders. I suspect that's not going to be the case, but we'll see. Meanwhile, here in the United States, Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers ruled that Section 230 protections cannot be used as a blanket force field defense. So as a reminder, Section 230 states that an internet platform cannot be treated as a publisher and then held responsible for the content that users are posting to that platform. So for example, if someone posts a video on YouTube that is slandering an innocent person, YouTube is not responsible for that video. They're not responsible for the crime of slander. Section 230 would protect them from that. Uh, there are some limitations to Section 230, so things can get a little bit fuzzy. Like, you know, if a, a platform shows that it has not tried to reasonably respond to issues from uh, that were created by users, then it can lose some of the elements of Section 230 protection. But this particular ruling takes a totally different perspective 
on the problem. So at the heart of the decision isn't the content that's posted to a platform. Instead, it's actually directed at the platform's design and operation. So the argument is, if the platform's design is faulty and allows for the posting and the proliferation of illegal content on the platform, that is not covered by Section 230. So it's not that the platform is responsible for publishing the material, but that its its measures to prevent uh, abuse are not sufficient. And therefore, that's a design flaw, and that is not covered or protected by Section 230. So let me give an example. Let's say a platform creates an AI-powered tool that is meant to detect instances of illegal material posted to the platform. But this tool fails to work reliably, and some stuff gets past the tool. Well, Judge Rogers' ruling says that the platform cannot hide behind Section 230 to protect themselves because the root of the complaint is that the tool meant to protect against the illegal uh, material doesn't work. It's not about the publication of the material. It's about this tool that's meant to prevent that stuff. So it's all about contextualization. The ruling means that this huge lawsuit that 30 states in the U.S. have brought against social networking companies can actually continue to the discovery phase. So it doesn't mean that this particular lawsuit is going to turn out one way versus another. That's still to be determined in the courts. It just means that the lawsuit can proceed to the next stage in the, the court system. And it also means the extent of protections offered by Section 230 have boundaries. They're not endless. It is an important precedent, and it's one that's sure to concern a lot of big tech companies out in the space. Meanwhile, our march toward being engulfed in AI-generated content continues. Google is experimenting with several AI-powered features over on YouTube. One of them will take a tune that you hum into a microphone and then use that to generate a full music track for you. Uh, another tool uh, has been rolled out to a small test group of creators that is called Dream Track, and this tool lets the creator create a prompt to generate a 30-second piece of music in the style of one of nine musical artists. So why only nine? Well, Google is trying to do this in a respectable and responsible way and is working with artists on this tool. So each one represented in the tool worked with Google and gave their permission for this to actually work. Uh, so you can't just use this tool to copy any artist out there. It has to be someone who has given their express permission for the tool to be able to do this. And what it can do is it can take a pretty generic prompt. You might say, like, make me a song about driving fast uh, along a coastal highway. And it will take that prompt and then it'll do everything from generating the music to actually writing lyrics to creating vocals that sound like the artist you selected and produce the whole thing for you. Now, according to The Verge, YouTube plans to roll out this feature specifically as a way to augment YouTube shorts. That's YouTube's take on stuff like TikTok videos and reels and that kind of thing. Google's DeepMind project provides the horsepower in the background through an AI generation model that's called Lyria. And unlike with a lot of other generative AI applications, I don't feel that icky about this one. I like that Google reached out to actual artists first to get their buy-in on this. 
I like that it's limited in its application. It's not like designed to just write music. And I also like that, uh, you know, it's it's going to give creators a chance to do things like make a backing track for their video without having to, you know, take up music or potentially, you know, try and lift someone else's work and hope they don't get a copyright strike. I like that as well. So I think this is a reasonable use of generative AI, at least so far. On a related note, Google has also introduced an audio watermark for AI-generated audio tracks. It's called SynthID. And while it's an audio watermark, it isn't audible, or rather it, it shouldn't be detectable, in Google's words, by human ears. So theoretically, we puny humans won't be able to tell that it's there, but if you were to plop the track into some audio editing software, you should be able to find the audio watermark somewhere in the, the track. Uh, it's supposed to be true even if someone runs the AI-generated audio through compression or they change the speed of the track or even if they put in other audio, like if they mix it with something else. Uh, it is not bulletproof. Google reps say that if someone had enough determination and they pushed image manipulation far enough, they could obfuscate the watermark. But as we feel our way toward how we can best make use of generative AI so that you know, we can enjoy its benefits without also having to endure massively negative consequences. Stuff like this technology can help us get to that destination. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I've got some more news items to talk about. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... 
actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. We're back. So imagine that you're in a ransomware game and you and your fellow hackers have targeted a business and you get into their, that business's systems and you steal a whole bunch of data and then you tell the target, hey, I've got your data. If you do not pay out a ransom, we're going to share this information with the rest of the world. And then let's say that you are not satisfied at how quickly or you know your target's moving. Your target hasn't responded fast enough. So you could go ahead and release all the information, but then you're not going to get anything from your victim, right? It's just going to be like, well, we did it and we released the information, but we didn't get any money for our efforts. How do you get your target to pay up? Well, how about you tell the authorities that they failed to disclose a data breach? Because that's what the Alpha Ransomware Group did to a company called Meridian Link. So the hacker group alerted the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, that they had hit Meridian Link with a ransomware attack, but Meridian Link failed to disclose this attack. And not too long ago, the SEC passed a rule that says companies have four days to report ransomware attacks that represent a significant breach. So this was literally the hackers tattling on their victim in an effort to pressure Meridian Link to cough up the ransom. Never mind that the hackers might have been a bit premature to do this, because those rules, while they have been drafted, don't actually go into effect until December 15th. So there is no legal obligation yet for Meridian Link to have revealed this. Plus, Meridian Link could argue that the breach doesn't actually amount to being significant in the first place, so that it wouldn't have you know, triggered the rules even if they had been in effect at the time. But I just thought it was interesting that the thieves are snitching on the victims to the authorities. It's pretty crazy. Tesla and worker unions in Sweden are in a pretty big fight right now. So in Sweden, the labor market is really different from other parts of the world. You know, a lot of countries have things like minimum wage requirements and working hours requirements. But in Sweden, these decisions come down to worker groups, so essentially unions, and the various employers in Sweden. So the two parties come together and they negotiate the terms until both sides are satisfied. And then that's those are the rules. But Tesla hasn't been doing that. The company has refused to come to the table to negotiate with Swedish workers. And so several different groups representing different types of jobs have all decided they aren't going to work with Tesla anymore. So that includes like dock workers who will stop unloading Tesla cargo in Swedish ports. So Tesla might ship stuff to Sweden, but no one's going to be unloading those ships. Electricians will not work on Tesla charging stations in Sweden. Uh, cleaning staff will stop showing up to clean showrooms. Several unions have expressed solidarity, extending the protest beyond the first circle of employees affected by Tesla's refusal to negotiate. 
The company is facing increasing resistance in Sweden. Things are just going to get worse unless Tesla makes motions to actually negotiate with unions. Even the Swedish post office is going to stop delivering mail to Tesla addresses starting next week. So Elon Musk in the past has shown great disdain for unions and for worker organization in general. So I can't say that Tesla's failure to engage in this process has surprised me, but it will still surprise me if that remains the case, because I don't get the impression that Tesla is really in a position where they can just write off an entire country. In space news, SpaceX has received approval from the Federal Aviation Administration here in America to perform a second test flight of the Starship Super Heavy lifting vehicle, which, as I record this, is currently scheduled for tomorrow, November 17th. Earlier this year, back in April, SpaceX attempted a test launch of this vehicle, and it did not go well. Uh, About four minutes into the test launch, the Starship burst into flame and then it self-destructed. The failure caused a great deal of damage to the surrounding area, including one case where debris from the explosion apparently hit a vehicle here on the ground. An investigation followed, and the FAA created a pretty long list of issues that SpaceX would have to address before the FAA would grant permission to conduct another test. But apparently all of that is now reconciled, and if tomorrow's test goes as planned, the Starship should lift off, it should fly for around 90 minutes, and then eventually it should descend vertically into the Pacific Ocean. So we'll have to keep our eyes out to see if that, in fact, happens. In New York City, the company Joby Aviation held a demonstration of its electrical vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, or eVTOL. It has six propellers. It kind of looks like an oversized remote-controlled drone, like just big enough for you to, to ride in. And the fact that it has six propellers, whereas most you know, consumer drones have four. But this is an example of an electric flying taxi concept that's been around in New York for a while. And primarily the focus has been on transporting people from locations like, say, downtown Manhattan to an airport and or vice versa from an airport to, say, downtown Manhattan. And this is a trip that if you were taking by ground transportation, it might take you an hour or sometimes longer to get there. But by air, it could take you less than 10 minutes. New York's mayor, Eric Adams, was present for this demonstration, which saw a Joby eVTOL vehicle lift off the ground and fly around the area. The plan is to have Joby Aviation cleared for commercial operation by 2025, but the company still has to meet a few more FAA requirements before it can earn a license to operate in New York City. Joby Aviation is just one company that's actually competing for this potential future. There are others that are also looking to take that spot in New York. Now, I'm not going to lie. I do think it's neat, but I'm not entirely convinced it actually meets a real need. I mean, sure, getting to the airport more easily and quickly is great, but the capacity of these aircraft is pretty limited, so I don't actually see it making a significant impact on larger issues like traffic, even traffic to the airports. I mean, it's a very small percentage of people who are going to be able to take advantage of this, at least unless you've got like maybe a huge fleet of these things. And then you have the issue of, well, where are they taking off and landing? Where are you storing these things? Like, you know, there are other issues that come up if you're like, well, we've got a big enough fleet to make an impact on traffic. Well, then you have other problems you have to solve. I still think it's cool. I just, I'm not convinced that it really solves a problem. I've got a couple of article recommendations for y'all before I sign off today. First up is Will Saddleberg's article for Android Police. It is titled, Android isn't cool with teenagers. That's a big problem. So Saddleberg points out how, particularly here in the United States, 
Younger folks prefer iOS devices to Android, and that's really bad news for Google because, you know, young folks who love Apple tend to grow up to be adults who love Apple. And then Google is left seeing an entire generation moving uh, or not even adopting Android devices. Plus, Saddleberg touches on the whole crazy status symbol thing here in the U.S. in iPhones, particularly with iMessage, where if there's like a group message uh, going on and one person has a green bubble of text instead of blue, that person is then uh, ostracized or ridiculed because they aren't cool enough to have an iPhone which is super lame. I think personally, like I, I would just, <laughs> I would roll my eyes at that kind of stuff. But then I also understand like, that's kind of how kids operate. I was always oblivious to that sort of thing. I was never aware enough to pick up on the fact that I was being ostracized. I'm sure I was, I just didn't notice, but like, like when I was growing up, it was all things like uh, designer clothes or whatever, or certain labels, certain brand labels were big and others were considered uh, garbage. And I never, figured that out. And I, I turned out, I mean, I'm okay. Anyway, the other article I have to recommend is John Brodkin's piece for Ars Technica. It is titled Cable Lobby and Ted Cruz are disappointed as FCC bans digital discrimination. Brodkin does a really good job breaking down the actual issue and the various perspectives. Uh, it's not clear cut. Like I wouldn't say it's super clear cut from any perspective. I would also say a lot of perspectives are selectively ignoring certain things in order to make a point, which is uh, disingenuous, I would argue. But anyway, the article does a really good job at breaking all that down. Okay, that's it. I hope you are all well, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.